What does it mean to a chef to be a chef? Podcaster and flavor specialist Emmanuel LaRoche asked this question and more of 50 American chefs. His conclusions are nuanced and broad-reaching. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We are here today with Emmanuel LaRoche. Born in France, he is a writer, lecturer, podcaster. His podcast is Flavors Unknown, and he's a flavor specialist. His recent book is Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. 50 American Chefs Chart Today's Food Culture. Welcome, Emmanuel. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Liz. I really appreciate it. Well, I really enjoyed your book so much, and I definitely want us to talk about it during the podcast. But before we do, I want to know how you came to food. Okay. So I have to go back across the Atlantic Ocean when, uh, you know, I grew up in France. You can probably tell both from my accent and my name. So I'm originally French and American now. And I think that's, uh, you know, like a lot of people, my mother exposed me to food at a very young age. Um, I read in the book that, uh, you know, when I was a kid, she uh, told me how to cook like a quiche Lorraine from scratch. Uh, why quiche Lorraine? Because my mom was from the Lorraine region, which is you know close to the Alsace region, so the northeast part of France. And so I started to learn that probably I was seven, something like this, how to make a crust for the, the quiche and then obviously the rest. And she was very, very specific about like the ingredients to use. So that's how I started. I had an uncle as well. Um, that unfortunately passed away when I was still very young, but uh, he owned like a restaurant and a hotel in another region of like northeast part of France. So um, I used to um, go there uh, sometime in a summer vacation. And uh, even if I was a kid in France, we didn't have at that time the same restriction in terms of alcohol that we have here. So uh, he taught me how to mix some very simple drinks and and serve that to his patrons at the at the bar. So that that was something fun. I always remember it. So since the let's say I I was a I was a kid. I, I you know food was very important in our household in the, in the family. So I was exposed to food at a very young age. So I I understand the early alcohol. Um, my <laughs> grandparents were from Sicily, uh-huh. and uh, so my grandmother would make pizzelle or something like that, and she'd give me mine, and I got to dip mine into marsala even when I was five sure. or six because that's just what you did. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I you can relate that. to it. <laughs> yes, I definitely can. Definitely can. And so did you study English in school? Did yeah, you-, you know, in the French education, uh, I would say in the, uh, for me, I would say um, uh, 80s, like early 80s. So you can select like foreign languages when you're 11. 
years old. So I, I started with German. And then after that, at 13, I took English. But it was like basic English, you know, that you can work in school. So I uh, had the chance when I started working to work for an international company in the flavor uh, world, in the flavor industry. And um, so I, I worked for the uh, all like the Western Europe. So I traveled quite a bit in Western Europe. And obviously I had to speak English. So that's how I started really to use English uh, on a daily basis. And did you have difficulty when you finally moved to the United States or was your English pretty good? No, in fact, I, it's funny that you say that. Uh, so uh, I, I so I did a master of chemistry, and after that I had an MBA with a focus on on marketing. And in order to validate my MBA, I had to uh, do an internship, and I did it for in a flavor company in Grasse in the southeast region of France. And they sent me at that time, at, just after I I graduated, they sent me a year in Wisconsin, um, you know, in the U.S. That was the first time, my first trip ever to uh, to the U.S. I fell in love with the country. Yes, like the first two weeks were very very hard because <laughs> I it was even before my uh, business experience in Europe. I was just fresh out of my MBA. And, um, you know, I had to deal with people in the research lab, chemistry labs, and then account manager, and then IT departments and so on, because I, the project that I was sent for was like, kind of like an uh, intersection of all those functions. So I had headaches like every evening, you know, going back to my apartment, <laughs> but, you know, it helped me tremendously. In fact, after a year, uh, obviously I was fluent in, uh, in English. And so it helped me for the rest of my career back in, back in Europe. Yeah, there's nothing like immersion in any yep. language. For know, sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm very interested in flavor. So mm -hmm. is that something that you selected? This was something where you said, I'm really the most interested in flavor? Or is that just the company that you wound up working for? Yeah, so it's another very good question. In fact, I at the end of my studies, so I, I did chemistry, uh, because that was a topic that I really liked, but I knew nothing about the, the industry, you know, the flavor industry. And then, you know, after that, I wanted to focus on business, understand, you know, how business works. So that's why I did my MBA. But every time I stayed connected to my main chemistry professor, and he was um, a consultant for a flavor company in the grass region, which is the hub you know, of flavor and fragrance in, in mm -hmm. France. Mm -hmm. and, and when I was looking for my internship, he, in, he mentioned to me that a company in grass and the flavor industry was looking for an intern. And that's how I went into this industry. And I literally fell in love with it because it was kind of the intersection of my science background, as well, my passion for food, because you are exposed to every like new trends, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of food trends, in terms of beverage trends, and so on. So uh, it connected right away, and uh, still as today, I am still in this industry. I mean, it hasn't haven't changed. You know, it's been thirty years now, and every day it's still like new and and very exciting. So no, I didn't know anything about the flavor world before, but I fell in love with 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 it. I think I bother all my family and friends during the summer of an internship about all the things that I discovered and, you know, and flavors and extracts that I was bringing back home, you know, to try in the kitchen. 
Well, so I I was talking to you before we actually got started about Jacques Puiset, who is mm -hmm. the founder of the Institut du Goût in in France, and he has has passed away, but he founded this this institute in 1999, and he was kind of, I think, described as a taste humanist, talking about how there really are cultural flavor profiles mm -hmm. that can be identified and that we need to teach our children how to describe those things. So one of the things that I noticed with my own children was that in school, you learn about describing the world that we, you see. So you learn the names for, for the colors and you learn um, how to identify shapes and things that allow you that to ultimately talk about art. Mm -hmm. But we don't really teach our children words that identify food. And so when people, children say, well, I don't like that. And you say, well, why is it that you don't like that? They say something really general, like it's yucky or <laughs> it's, I, I just don't. They don't sure. really uh, have a way to analyze why they don't, they don't enjoy it or mm -hmm. they don't like it. Even things like crunchy and salty and simple yeah, words like yeah. that mm -hmm. are not words that we really talk about and, and actively teach our children. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you learn in this business, in the flavor business, how to describe all of these things? Because they have to be able to be described. Of course. Yeah. So the company I work for is called Simrise, S-Y-M-R-I-S-E. So an international company, we have a language that, uh, you know, we define with a series of descriptors for each main uh, flavors. So if you take vanilla, for instance, which is, you know, a, a key flavor in the world of ice creams and desserts and bakery and so on, we have, for instance, like 13 different descriptors, you know, to describe different profiles, you know, of vanilla. And that's the case for every other um, you know, flavors, we will have the same thing for how to describe a strawberry, how to describe a raspberry, how to describe a cherry, how to describe, you know, an orange flavor, how to describe, um, you know, that type of things. And then you had to add that to a language to describe textures. You you were talking about, you know, crunchiness and, and so on, because texture is as important as flavor in the perception, you know, of the experience when you taste something. Yes, it's and, all polysensory for sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, the colors, you know, all the senses, in fact, are uh, are really involved. The visual aspect is, is important too. So I, I completely understand what you are saying, um, mentioning the fact that we don't give maybe enough vocabulary to our children and, you know, to ourselves as well as adults, you know, how to describe what we eat. But at the same time, <laughs> it could be the uh, the other side and the extreme is I'm so used to do that. So if I go and have dinner with friends or family, I always have. So first of all, it takes me some time to look at the menu and everyone's, you know, people like to order things that they, they like, they used to, uh, to eat. I have to go through the menu to find things that. I never tasted before or flavor association that I intrigued me. And uh -huh. I want always to understand how the chef, you know, came up with those association and idea. 
And they are like, okay, come on, can you select your dish yet? <laughs> I mean, really? And then after that, when the dish arrive and then we have the conversation, I always have to describe, you know, what I'm eating. And they are like, can you just like enjoy the food? <laughs> you know, so, so there is like, you know, the negative aspect to it too. <laughs> so you need to have like the just balance between, you know, not knowing how to describe it and say it's yucky and compared to uh, the extreme, the other extreme, which is like analyzing, you know, everything that you are eating. <laughs> so I have one more question about flavor and then we'll, we'll move on sure, to your book. Um, but I, I, that to me, the idea that, that you work in flavor is just really fascinating. Do you feel that there are either regional or cultural uh, flavors that are based on geography or the type of people who might be located in a particular area? Of course. Yes, definitely. I mean, there's different elements. There is you know, things that are connected to a specific region, but as well, you know, those cultural elements are the result of movements of populations, you know, and sometimes, you know, as, as difficult as it is to admit, but like war or invasions, you know, and all of this, because that has an effect, an impact on culture and food is part of culture. So, um, you know, so if, if you look at the US, I mean, you have like, you know, original specialties. I love to travel. I have the chance to travel personally and as well professionally. So I've been to 48 of the 50 states uh, since I'm here, 20 years now in the US. And I, I can see really, you know, very some things, you know, specifics uh, where you you have, like I discovered Pow Pow, for instance, in the Appalachian, uh, you know, several years back. You don't see that and you don't find that, you know, elsewhere in the US. So this is really specific, you know, to that part. If you go to, you know, like in New Mexico, you have the Hatch Chili, you know, the Hatch Chile, which is, you know, specific to New Mexico. So you have tastes like this that are very original. And now if you take it to the entire globe, obviously, you know, you see things that, you know, exist in, in specific countries that were not part of the culture on other countries. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, with travel and people moving around and immigration, you have a lot of, uh, you know, blending, you know, of this and influences that comes, um, you know, even to come to the U.S. So, uh, you know, you see the son and the daughters of, uh, you know, the immigrants. So they are maybe second generation of third generation, which is part of the big influence at the moment uh, in the, the food culture in the U.S. So you have Peruvian influence, you, you, you have Japanese influence outside of sushi, and or ramen you know you have influence from the philippines as well which mm -hmm. is very strong mm -hmm. um and so on so yeah yeah sorry i, I can talk about it forever <laughs> I, I know I'm, I'm very fascinated by it so i would let you go on but we want to talk about your book so tell me how you decided to write this book yeah so it's it's reconnected to to my podcasts so mm -hmm. the, i started the podcast flavors unknown that you mentioned in the introduction you know, in 2018. And, you know, I have seen, I've, I'm in contact, like probably you are as well, for some of the people that are listening. And a lot of people listen to, you know, a few episodes because they know the guests or because they know the, you know, the city where the guest is from. Because my podcast is nationwide. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not local in a specific region. And um, I always wanted to 
and figure out how to bring more people to the podcast. And I think maybe like a few months before the pandemic started, I had conversations, you know, with the listeners and they say, hey, well, you know what, we buy books, you know, about food all the time because we are either chefs or cooks or because we are, you know, food enthusiasts. So that's how the idea started. And then obviously the pandemic, you know, was here and I was not traveling as much, you know, for my work, for my day work. So that's how I, I put together some thoughts and decided to take on the project. And I, yeah, I, I re-listened to, you know, more than 50 episodes, tried to find like the common threads, um, build structure of the book. I had many additional conversations with the chef that I selected for the book. So private conversations after, um, and I added as well, my own experience of travels and, um, and going back even to my, the youth, you know, in France that, uh, that we mentioned before. Well, what I really enjoyed, uh, well, there are many, many things that I enjoyed about this, but I love the way you weave together these conversations so that they show similarities and things that are connectors for so many of the chefs. Um, and I believe that, uh, I believe that it was much better to read it this way through with a point of view, which was yours, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, then to have, say, just transcriptions of your conversations right. or something like that. So how did you um, select these particular 50 chefs? Yeah, that's another good question and tough one. So I think the three first seasons of the podcast um and um i when i you know went through all those episodes so i had to read the transcript again you're talking about transcripts so i started with this and this is when i i i you know look at those transcripts and i started to identify common themes and you know there's seven chapters in the book that are connected to big themes then i went through you know, each of the different interviews and look for the most important quotes that were or stories, you know, from the chef that illustrated those themes, you know, the best. So there's some that are, you know, very important in the structure of each of those chapters and some others that are bringing additional colors, you know, to uh, like the conversations I had with the chef. So one of the things I noticed being a woman is that there weren't that many women chefs mm -hmm. that are involved in this. So is that because the group of people that you had podcasted with did not include a lot of women? Is it because there just aren't that many women mm -hmm. um, who are in restaurants or how well, can you yeah, talk it's about a, that a it's little a bit? Very it's a very important topic. And you said as a woman, but as well, you know, as um, for me as a man, and uh, I think it was something that was uh, important for me when I was writing the book to make sure that I give as well the voice, you know, to uh, women's chef. So I don't know if, uh, you know, you are aware, Liz, but if you look at the statistics in, in the United States and, you know, even in other countries, but there's only 25% of chefs, you know, that own a restaurant that are women. So what I try to do is to make sure that 
in the book, you know, I have about the same level in terms of like the, the statistics. Mm -hmm. So I have about like 25% of the chefs that are, that are women that are either mixologists or pastry chefs or, or chefs. Mm -hmm. And it just happened that, you know, when I try, I am working on scheduling, you know, my interviews with the chefs that it, it is not easy. I don't know if they are like busy and, but I try to have as many women as, as possible. And, you know, a lot agreed, but there's always something that comes into, you know, like a conflict of, you know, calendar. And then at the end of the day, I can just, you know, interview the people that, you know, are scheduled, you know, so yes, that's, that's yes. the thing, but yeah, it's only 25%. So, but for me, um, as I wanted to give that voice, that's why I made a selection on purpose for the chef that would write uh, the forward. So I asked chef uh, Elizabeth Faulkner uh, to write the, folk, the, the, the forward for the book and she, you know, accepted right away. And she did a fantastic job and I am very, very thankful to, to her. And so what is it that you were trying to do with the book? What was it that you said, this is the point of writing this? I want to let people know about this. Yeah, um, <laughs> I believe as, um, as an immigrant myself coming from France, um, I've been here 20 years now in the U.S., and I always heard from my family or from my friends from France um, that, you know, the culture of food in the U.S. is not very, um, you know, very developed. Every time they were coming, especially 20 years ago, uh, they were asking me, OK, so how would you describe the food? And, you know, I was telling them about a great experience that I had into a Chinese restaurant, another one that I had into like maybe a Mexican restaurant or into like a Peruvian restaurant and so on. And they say, see, it's not American food. You know, you're talking about food coming from other countries. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know how I'm going to answer them. And then this summer, it's funny, after the, the pandemic, I went back to, uh, to France to see my family and I was in Burgundy. So not in Paris, which probably are more exposed to what's going on in the rest of the world. I have still neighbors from my sister telling me or asking me when my sister described, you know, my podcast and I was working on the, the book, they were, why do you do this? Because in America, they only eat burgers and pizza and hot dogs. And <laughs> so we are in 2022 and, uh, you know, people are still making those observations, which is silly. So I, that was kind of like in the back of my mind to say, you know what, after 20 years in this country, I've been into 48 states. I discovered so many rich, regional food specialty and as well, fantastic chefs and, and pastry chefs. I need to give them like, you know, like the voice. So that was, you know, kind of like a, a, a like the main themes that, you know, I had in the in back of my mind. And as well, being an immigrant, I just want to make sure that People understand that, yes, if there is traditional dishes, there is roadside riches, that I, the way how I call them in, in one of the chapter, there is as well today an influence, you know, of uh, the immigrant population in what the culture of American food is today. So you basically were the 
our de Tocqueville of, of the... <laughs> I'm going to repeat that. I like that. <laughs> well, you traveled around, you talked to people all over and interpreted. Sometimes I think that it's easier to see things when you didn't grow mm -hmm. up with them because you observe them in a different way. And I think that we have many examples of that in different centuries, even in America, where people have come and observed from, mm -hmm. from the outside perspective, things that you don't see. You know how it is when you're a child, you grow up with this, you think this just is. You don't understand that it's a regional thing or that it's like to your family yeah. or whatever. And then the more you travel, of course, the more you become aware of, of other things and can compare better. But I think that having that outsider's perspective does give you an advantage because you aren't bringing, you may have some preconceptions, but in general, you aren't bringing that sense of this is what is. Correct. Uh, I don't even have that regarding, you know, French cuisine. So, because I, I think again, another positive aspect that came, you know, from my education is my, my father um, uh, was a French teacher. And so we had always, you know, the whole summer vacation and we always traveled, you know, either in France or, you know, other countries in the West part of Europe. So I've been, uh, you know, I think that I got the the bug of uh, like traveling and being exposed to other culture and and food from a very young age. So um, that I think that helped, you know, as well. So yes, and of course you also have the vocabulary because <laughs> of what you do. So that also helps. Yes. So one of the things I wanted to comment on, which I think is just wonderful, is the at the back of the book where you have the QR codes. Mm -hmm. for the different episodes of the podcast that will allow people, especially if they're reading and they say, oh, I'd love to hear more from that chef. It, mm -hmm. It's quite possible. I think that that was a brilliant move. And I, I really appreciate that very, very much. Thank you. So, I, that, that was something very important for me when I engage, you know, with my agent and as well with the publisher is to have a book that kind of illustrates like maybe more the modern age and then a way that, uh, you know, can be a little bit interactive. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason that you have seen probably, you know, at the front of each chapter, I have a list of all the chefs that are featured in the chapter. So because I, I understand that as I'm, I am, um, you know, referring to a lot of different chefs during the chapter, you know, maybe four or five pages through, you know, you said, oh, who is that person again? So then people can refer to this on, uh, you know, on the, the first page of the chapter. And then, as you just mentioned, if they want to dig more into, um, you know, a specific chef or a specific mixologist, then they can go in the back and there is the QR code to listen to the entire uh, conversation that I had with each of them. Yes. So I want to thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you, you for, for writing. having me. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you. you for writing this book. I think the book is really fascinating. I think the idea that you talk about things like um, 
why people are motivated to become chefs and what they hope to achieve as a chef and the difference between the artistic or craft aspect of it and uh and and at the same time having to make a living doing this which is all mixed together of course in a restaurant setting and uh, I loved that that conversation where you brought in your own ideas as well as interpreting what other people had to say about it. I thought that was very interesting. How hard was that? Yeah, you touch a very important points. In fact, you know, it's it's my first book. I have written a lot of articles, you know, for my company, for the blogs, you have the company before, but taking on like this project of writing a book is really different. And um, when I, I worked before having an agent, um, you know, you had to write like two chapters, um, which I did with the book proposal. And I had several agents that were interested, but one challenged me because she mentioned that it was really great. It was a good storytelling that the story of the chef were wonderful and very insightful, but it needed to have much more of me as the author in the book. So that's why I decided to take on that challenge and I have rewritten those chapter. And after, you know, reading the new version, she wanted, she said, I'm going to represent you. And I went with her because, you know, yes, I, I love that challenge because I never wrote a book before. So I thought it was, you know, good to listen to people that are experts in the topic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's how it, because at the beginning, I think that, you know, you have always this idea that, you know, the experts are the chefs, so you are going to bring them forward. But, you know, yes, I have as well my experience of traveling, my experience in my, in my function, you know, in my job and all the tasting. I do about 60 tasting, tasting a year. So I could, I have as well some things to say. So, yeah. so I'm glad I listened to her. <laughs> yes, I am too. I am too. Well, thanks so can much. I, can I ask, uh, add one little thing as well? Okay. Yes, it's important for me. Obviously, people can get the book, you know, everywhere online where they buy books or at their bookstore. If they don't find it, they should talk to uh, the person, the people at the bookstore because it is on the database on Ingram, so they can they can order it. Mm-hmm. The point is that I take it. Uh, people can get it from my website where I have the podcast. There's a page for the book. Uh, it's called flavorsunknown.com. And why I'm mentioning this is because I reached out to the World Central Kitchen from the association organization from Jose Andres. And I did like uh, things with them. So for each book that is purchased from my website, I give a donation, you know, to the World Central Kitchen. I thought it was something very important because I'm talking about food. We have a great time, you know, when it comes to food, we enjoy food, but there's a lot of people around the world that obviously don't have access to the food, the basic, you know, that food is. So I wanted to help bring fresh meals to the people that are in crisis. So. Oh, well, I'm glad you told us about that. That's really great. Do you want to say the name of the, po- the uh, podcast address? I mean, the web address again? Yeah. So it's flavorsunknown.com. And then in the menu on top, you, they will see the book. And then this is where they can click and, you know, and get the book from there. Wonderful. So thanks so much. And I hope that 
if you're in New Orleans, you come by to visit the museum. And, I went uh, there. I went oh, there. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Oh. It's wonderful. I, you know, I've been to New Orleans, I don't know how many times, and I I didn't know anything about the museum. I discovered it in my last trip. And uh, yes, I even had, I think, a breakfast at the restaurants with the, you know, like the two chefs that yes, uh, yes. were there. Uh, and uh, I visited, you know, the, the, the museum and I found fascinated. I even learned with the expo that you have on, permanent expo that you have on Absent, than that it was created in Switzerland. I assume that it was French, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, damn it, I learned something today. <laughs> so yeah, so I love your museum. It's it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank Very you. Very insightful. Well, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Liz. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.